So there's a first time for everything for each of us. And you guys just happen to get to be here today. This is the first time I've ever had the opportunity to, to speak like this in this capacity. So to ease my nerves, I'm going to pretend we're sitting across the table from one another having a cup of coffee. Because if you know me, you know I love my coffee. Um, so we're going to have a conversation today. Um, the Lord has laid something on my heart. And part of that, um, what is on my heart, is my own story. And so I'm going to interweave that today. Um, into the message that I'm going to be sharing with you. Um, we were supposed to have a video uh, up here to start things off, uh, but obviously that's not working. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. How many of you guys have seen the movie Encanto? It's a Disney movie. It's out right now. Excellent movie if you haven't had a chance to see it. There's a song that plays in Encanto called Surface Pressure. And an older sister sings this song, and it's all about the pressures of life. She's the strong one. She gets it all done. When something needs to happen, they rely on her. She moves mountains. She, um, but it, in, the, in the song, she says the words pressure, like a drip, drip, drip that'll never stop. Under the surface, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. You don't have to raise your hands, but I know I have felt that way at times that I've got to be of service at all times. I've got to get it all done. I've got to be that person that, it, that people can rely on. Um, I can't watch that movie without crying through that song. Um, I think moms can especially relate to this, wear a lot of different hats, but I think in some capacity, all of us in our lives feel that way at one time or another. Three weeks ago, if you guys were with us on our, our, launch, sun, our launch Sunday, November 6th, Josh shared with us uh, Matthew 11:28 through 30. I think the words are going to be up here for you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, my burden. I'm sorry. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He also shared with us the importance of eyes right here. That was his message. Eyes right here, talking about Peter in the storm, keeping his eyes on Jesus in the midst of the, of the, the tumultuous circumstances, the weight, the crushing weight of expectation. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about what that means today. What does it mean to keep eyes right here? And how do we actually walk that out? So today I'm going to share two stories with you. I'm going to share my own. I already said that. I'm going to try and do it without crying, but if I get emotional, just bear with me. Um, and I'm going to share another story with you about a woman in Samaria who met Jesus at a well. And you, some of you are familiar with that story, but we'll get to her in just a minute. So I know there's folks in here that know me pretty well, but I was saved. So you may have heard this story, so just bear with me as I bring everyone else along. But I was four when I came to know Jesus. I grew up on the mission field, or my early childhood was on the mission field in Papua New Guinea. Um, I remember the night that I walked down the aisle and said, I profess my faith for Jesus. My grandfather, my dad's dad, was preaching the sermon. Knowing my grandfather, it was probably a brimstone-type sermon. Um, and I knew the rest of my family was probably going to end up in heaven, and I didn't want to go to the other place by myself. That's all I knew. Um, so I remember grabbing my mom's hand, walking down the aisle, and making that profession of faith. I don't necessarily think I understood at that point in my life what that really meant. But nevertheless, it started me on a path and a trajectory. Um, growing up on the mission field, my sister Karen and I were always on display, or at least we felt like we were. We had to be, we were always different everywhere we went, first of all. Um, we were the minority in a third world country. Our church growing up had four posts, a thatch roof, 
logs for seats and dirt floor. So we didn't color on crayons and paper, we colored in the dirt with our toes um, while service was going on. My dad led worship and my mom taught Sunday school. Um, that started a path of feeling like I was always on display, needing to keep it all together, needing to clean myself up and be good enough. I always also had this understanding that I could lose my salvation and I really needed to earn it. I needed to do all the right things, say all the right things, and earn what God had given to me. Part of that was my own view of who God was as this big bad dad up in the sky with a wooden spoon just waiting for you to step out of line so he could whack you. Um, and that was my own perspective. Um, for years, I just struggled with that feeling of just not good enough. Um, perfection was always the goal. And I remember the first Bible verse I memorized. And the reason I remember it is I was memorizing this Bible verse to earn badges, to go on my sash, to show that I had been doing these things. And I'm pretty sure I was going to get a piece of candy. But my mom taught me my first verse. She made up a song. And I remember it was a baby blue bathtub at my grandma's house. Everything was baby blue, the toilet, the sink, the tile, all of it. So I just dated myself. Um, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will, um, sorry, I just lost it. <laughs> Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. For me this year, lean not on your understanding. Your own understanding has been recurring. Um, this summer, I had the opportunity to attend a retreat. And a, a bunch of people had been praying over this retreat for the people that were going. And I received a card on my bed and the ladies told me, we lost your card like three times. We weren't even sure you were supposed to get it because we never could find it. But they found it and gave it to me. I'd never met this woman who wrote it, still have never met her, never have talked to her. And in that card, she had that verse written. And she highlighted, lean not on your own understanding. And so that, to me, I've been clinging to this year especially. Um, and we're going to get more to that in a minute. But I got married young. I was 19. And I carried my perfectionist tendencies into my marriage and into motherhood, wanting to be the perfect wife and the perfect mom. Um, I'm going to brag on Pete for just a second here. I was 19, he was 21, and the person in my life that has taught me the, more about, the most about unconditional love is that man. Um, because every time we had an argument or a fight, as newlyweds do, I was pretty convinced it was over. We're done. He's never going to love me again. I might as well just give up now. But he didn't. He showed up over and over and said, it's just a fight. We're just going to work through this. We're just going to talk it over. Um, we have four incredible kids. Um, but I wanted to be the perfect mom. I wanted my kids clean and dressed right and never dirty and never arguing and never fighting, which is totally ridiculous, right? Any of us that have kids know that. Um, so desire for performance led up to a point in 2009 that I ended up in the hospital battling severe anxiety and depression. I uh, am not proud of it, but I just reached the point where I couldn't do it anymore. And I'd love to say that that was the turning point, and after that it was, all, it was all better. It was a start, but that's not where everything changed ultimately for me. Uh, but it was one of my lowest moments in my life, I'll tell you that. I'm still, and I'm standing up here today, and I will tell you all week long I've prayed and I've battled, and the people closest to me have heard me verbally process through this. Um, I don't want to stand up here today and act like I've got it all together. 
because I don't. I'm still figuring it out on a daily basis. I'm still walking this out, and I'm coming to you from a place of having been broken. Um, and I'm sharing with you some of the things God has laid on my heart in this season, knowing that I'm still walking this out even today. Um, but the difference in spite of all of the circumstances of life has been where I'm finding my joy and the hope in my life today. So I'm going to share with you another story about another unremarkable woman. In fact, the Bible doesn't even tell us her name. Um, she encountered Jesus, and I want to tell you how it impacted her personally, but also how it impacted the whole world. Um, many of you are familiar with the story, but I want you to put yourselves in her shoes today. So if, you're, if you grew up in church and you know this story, what I want you to do is think about where do you see yourself in this story? And what is God saying to your heart in the midst of it? So we're going to start in John chapter 4. If you have your Bible or a smart device, you can find it in John 4. If you don't, that's okay. It's going to be up here on the screen. Or if you want it for the future, you can download the Bible app. It just, it's called the Bible app. So we're going to start in verse 1. And we have quite a few verses to cover, but I'm going to stop in between and we're going to talk through them together. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Let's stop right here. John includes this word had to for a reason. Um, there were other routes to um, Galilee. So I'm going to use my arm and just demonstrate this. The Jordan River runs north and south. Everything east of the Jordan River is Israelite country. That's where God's people lived. Um, Jesus right now is in Jerusalem down south on the southern end, and he's trying to get to Galilee, which is way up north. In the middle is Samaria. Okay, Samaria is hostile country. Most Jewish people of this day would travel an extra three to four days on foot to avoid Samaria. They'd cross the Jordan, come back around to go to Galilee. Why? Well, way before Jesus' time, about 1900 BC, there was a civil war in the Israelite kingdom. They divided into the North and South Kingdom, and they shared a common ancestry all the way back to Abraham, but they didn't agree. They got into an argument. The, the northern kingdom intermarried with the enemy people, the Syrians, uh, Syrians um, which made them completely unlikable to the Jewish people, to the people that held fast to the tradition of not intermarrying. Um, Jesus took this route, about a three-day journey on foot, through hostile territory. If you, if you were a Jewish person and you took this route, you risked uh, being beaten up, being robbed, ultimately you could be killed. So most people didn't even go this direction. So John includes this for us, because the people of that day would have already known this, okay? Um, so let's keep going in verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of, of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jo Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So once again, John is giving us some information here about the time of day. But let's think about the well. Water is essential to survival. We turn on the tap and we have water. In this day and age, they had to travel to get their water for cooking, for cleaning, for their basic survival and needs. But this part of the country is hot. Nobody goes to the well at noon. You're going to be inside doing all of your inside things that time of day. They would go early in the morning or late in the evening when it was much cooler. 
but the well also represents their social media. That's where they would get their news. Who had a baby? Who's married who? Who's sick right now? What's going on in town? This is their water cooler where they would gather to get all of the information that they wanted about what's happening in, the, in this town. Let's keep reading in, in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John tells us as an aside, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans, which I kind of alluded to. So I'm going to speculate here. Jesus is feel, feeling the full range of human emotions. Keep in mind, this man is fully God, fully human at the moment. He's tired. He's hungry. His feet hurt. If he's anything, you know, I know what hangry feels like. My family knows what hangry looks like. Um, <laughs> so... That's where Jesus is at right now, but he's there for a reason. Um, and asking for a drink from this woman, he certainly could have supplied water if he needed it, keeping in mind he's fully God. But he used asking for a drink as a conversation starter with this woman. I want to tell you a little bit about our friend, the Samaritan woman. Um, Jesus is going to get to this, so you'll, we'll read about it in a few minutes, but I want to give you a hint as to some of her background, okay? This woman has had five husbands, and she's currently living with a man who's not her husband. Not that unusual in today's day and age, but at this time it was considered completely unacceptable socially for her to be doing that. Um, she's a social outcast. Nobody wants anything to do with her. Um, so she would rather go to the well at noon, the hottest part of the day, than face rejection from the people around her. So she's intentionally going at this time so that she doesn't have to encounter anybody else. I can relate to that. There's times that I want to just draw in and hide, and I think all of us can. But not only was she a social outcast, Jewish men of this day did not interact with women who were not their close relative or not their spouse. So it's really unusual that Jesus would even initiate let me rephrase that. It's not unusual for Jesus. It's really unusual for a Jewish man of any type to initiate a conversation with a woman that he doesn't have any relation to. Okay. Um, the other thing is this woman would have been considered unclean by Old Testament standards. So because she was living with someone she wasn't married to, she would have been considered tainted. And anyone who came into contact with her would have then thereby been unclean. So now they've interacted with her and they are themselves unclean. That didn't stop Jesus. So let's keep reading. Um, in verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She immediately went to her physical need. Jesus just offered her something pretty incredible. We're going to get to that, but 
She wanted to immediately change her circumstances. If Jesus gives me this water so I'm never thirsty again, I don't have to make this trek at noon every day to go draw water from the well by myself. He can take care of all of my circumstances right now. That's what she's thinking in my, in my assumption. That's what she's thinking. Jesus had so much more to offer her that day, and she didn't even realize it. And Jesus had so much more to offer me in the midst of my desperation to, for perfection. And I never should have even expected it of myself, but I did. The pressure was intense at times. And I would tell myself, if I would just work a little bit harder, if I could just get one more thing done off my to-do list, if I buy the right journal, if I buy the right calendar, if I subscribe to the right app, I'm sure I'll be able to get it all together at some point. But here's the really hard part about that, about what this woman's looking at and what I was looking at, is I didn't know how to love myself. And she didn't know how to love herself. So we certainly couldn't figure out why Jesus would love us. And I certainly couldn't figure out why he'd want me to bring myself in my current circumstances, because they weren't very pretty. But all he wanted us to do in that moment is to admit that we couldn't do it on our own and let him take the reins. He said to her in verse 16, go, call your husband and come back. Jesus knew she didn't have a husband. This isn't a surprise to him, but he's getting ready to make a point, so he wants her to see her situation. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. What Jesus is hinting at here is that our friend was looking for love and acceptance in the arms of multiple men, and anywhere she could find it. Always seeking, never attaining. Until she just gave up. She gave up on marriage, sought companionship, but she's at the well drawing water at noon by herself. So even the companionship she was seeking, she doesn't have. Verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. That's something in my eye. Um, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. All right. You're like, wait, wait, what just happened? She's distracting here. She's been confronted with her sin and her current living situation, and she's like, I don't want to think about that. Let's argue about something unessential. How often as Christians do we do that? I don't want to look in the mirror at my own sin and my own struggles. I'm going to argue about everything that's non-essential because I want to take the focus off of myself and where I'm standing. We do that in life. Lots of people do that. So for me personally, I ended up so many years seeking something that I couldn't possibly obtain that I ended, eventually ended up with a mental breakdown and had to come completely to the end of myself so that I could fully rely on Jesus. Verse 21 says, Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time... So he's addressing her question here. He doesn't just ignore it, but he said, A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. He's changing the way worship happens with this passage. That's a whole nother message. But basically he's saying you're not going to have to go to the temple anymore. Spirit Worship is going to happen in your heart. And that's what he's talking about. But in verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain it to me. Once again, she's delaying. She doesn't want to confront the struggles or have the difficult conversation that Jesus has initiated. For this woman, she wants to distract, draw her water, and go home in peace. So she's just kicking the can down the road. We'll just wait for Messiah to show up, and he'll explain it. Keep in mind, at this point, the Jews and the Samaritans both had been waiting with expectation, looking for Messiah, Jesus. And here he is sitting right in front of her. But what they're looking for is a conquering hero. They're looking for someone to come and defeat Rome, change their circumstances, set himself up as a ruler, and make everything easier in their lives so that they're not a conquered people. And that's what they're looking for. And here's this man sitting at a well saying, I have so much more. Stop looking at your circumstances. There's more. What he's about to tell her, tell her it will change her life forever. The definition of hope in the dictionary is to hope, I'm sorry, to wait or look for something with eager expectation. We all hope for something. We all have something we're looking for. My question to you today is where are you putting your hope? Is your hope found in the next guy or girl you're going to date? Is it in the next job change, performance evaluation, the next home you're going to buy, the next vacation you're going to take, the next compliment or affirmation from someone that's close to you? So I shared a little bit about my story leading up to 2009 with you guys. My motto was rub some dirt in it, get over it. Don't let anyone see you sweat. Just make it happen. Um, I was talking to someone earlier this week and, I'm, and I said, there's always time, you can make time for anything. And she's like, and you need to finish that sentence. You can make time for anything at the sacrifice of something else. My rub some dirt in it, get over it motto was breaking me down on the inside. On the outside, the people not as close to me it looked like I had it all together. It's good. I keep working harder. I get it done. But it was my family and my close friends that saw that that wasn't really the truth. I shared with you what the moment was in 2009, but being in the hospital wasn't the breaking point. That happened in 2000, about 10 years later, in 2018. I grew up in the church, but over and over again, I felt alone in a crowd of people. I could be surrounded by people, and I'd go home lonely. I made a decision in 2018, I was tired of trying. I walked away from the church. Our family said, that's it. We've been hurt too many times, we're done. And we walked away. I didn't walk away from my faith. I still believed in what I believed in, in Jesus. But I just said, I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of showing up week after week. I'm tired of pretending. The next three years were incredibly painful. They were hard. Um, our oldest had mono in that time. I switched jobs. I was running a family business. Um, there were multiple things on my plate at that time. And I kept pretending, trying to figure out I knew what this Jesus life was all about. 
I was tired. Um, in November of 2020, the dam broke. I had a really good friend that said, you need to call this lady. I found myself standing in her kitchen, never met her before. And again, I've never talked to her since. And she prayed a prayer over me that day that I can't even explain or describe. I don't remember what she said. I just remembered that something broke and changed inside of me, something I'd never felt before. I was sobbing my eyes out and trying to explain to her how I'd gotten where I was at 43 years old. Um, if you've ever watched the Chosen TV series, and if you haven't, that is an incredible series. It's funny, it's great, I just, I love it. But the Chosen TV series, they tell the story of Mary Magdalene, who was a prostitute, she, and she's redeemed by Jesus. And she says in that, in that series, I was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. That was me. Jesus' next words to our friend, the Samaritan woman, would forever change her life, but also the world. In verse 26, Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Wait a second. Jesus just publicly declared who he was for the first time to a woman with a questionable life resume in Samaria, of all places. Not to the Jewish leaders of the day, not to the government officials of the day, but to someone that society had deemed irredeemable and replaceable. Up until this point in Jesus' life, the only people that knew who he was were the people closest to him, his disciples. They knew who he was, but nobody else did. Yes, he'd healed a few people, but what did he always say to those first few people he healed? Go, but don't tell anyone. They didn't listen. They'd go to the temple, but he told them not to tell anyone. The first announcement he makes to the world about who he is, is to this woman. He says, I am he. This is speaking to this woman's heart because she knows the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. God declares himself to Moses in Exodus by saying, I am. And Jesus just used the words, I am he. Has Jesus ever declared to you, I am he? I know he did in my life, standing in a woman's kitchen in 2020, at the end of a global pandemic in the midst of a really tough season. Jesus said to her, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. What Jesus is getting at here is that he is the living water. He is what she's seeking. So Jesus declares who he is, but he also tells this woman what he's going to give her, the living water. And he's also declaring that to you and I. Here at Hill City, we call that God's large part, our small part. He's going to do the heavy lifting. The ability to never thirst again is found inside of relationship with him. He does the work. We can stop striving, stop waiting for that next thing to happen, that next quick fix for our problems, and we can place our trust in him. This does not mean life will be easy. I hate to say it. <laughs> 2022 has been an extremely challenging year. Um, I'm in the middle of a ma major career change. <laughs> I've walked away from a family business. Um, we're in the middle of moving. Um, there's a lot of things going on in life at the moment. But I can't describe the hope and the joy that I feel in spite of the circumstances going on around me. 
and I wouldn't trade a moment of it. Do I want to do them again? No, I don't. But I wouldn't trade any of it for the lessons that I've been learning. God has blessed me with some incredible friends and community to walk alongside me in this season. And I'm so thankful for each of them. We need to be there for one another, carry one another's burdens when they get too heavy. They've loved me even when I'm not very lovable, thank goodness. And that they've each taught me about unconditional love. Most Christians will never fully experience this, unfortunately. I didn't for 42 years. I tried to do everything on my own. I wanted to earn it, and I wanted to impress Jesus with all the things I was doing. And like an independent toddler, I'd stand there and I'd stamp my feet and I'd say, I do it. And I think in pictures frequently. And I just picture Jesus standing up there shaking his head saying, okay, little one, let me know when you're ready for help. I got this. What Jesus offered the woman at the well and what he ultimately offered to me was hope. Hope for a different way of doing life. Hope for a different way to experience relationship. A different way to live with joy in spite of the crushing weight of circumstances. And what he was essentially telling our sweet friend is hope lives here. We, believe, we have believed the lie as Christians that it's our job to clean ourselves up, put on the masks. We've been wearing masks for two years. And I know a lot of young people today still want to wear those masks just to hide the things that are going on inside. I get it. We put on the masks to hide our shortcomings, but Jesus wants to dr- us to come and drink of the living water. He calls himself the shepherd in the New Testament over and over again, the good shepherd. I want to give you a picture. In the desert, there's sheep. There's a well. The sheep don't know where that well is. The shepherd takes the sheep, leads them to the well. The sheep get to the well. They can't draw the water. They have no idea how to get the water out of the well, but the shepherd does. The shepherd draws the water and gives it to the sheep. It's the same with Jesus, our shepherd. He doesn't ask us to do all the right things, have the plan all laid out, and bring it to him for his blessing. That's not what he wants. He wants us to show up, trust him in the midst of crushing circumstances, and I know it's confusing and it doesn't make any sense. In John 10, 11, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Trusting Jesus to be my shepherd, but more than that, my friend, looks like reading what the people closest to him have said about him. in my Bible, not because I have to check a box, but because I want to. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to have a quiet time. But it does say that the sheep will hear Jesus' voice and will respond. For me, I said I love my coffee. I love to get up in the morning. Pete even knows it. He doesn't get out of bed early in the morning because he knows that's my time alone. I typically will have an empty chair in the room there. I'm reading my Bible. I'm drinking my coffee, and I'm having a conversation. The conversation is usually my journal. I like to journal. Not everybody does, and that's okay. It can be a mental conversation. It can be a spoken journal. It can be a written journal. It can be a typed journal. It doesn't have to happen at all. But I, I read about him, and I write down the questions that are in my heart. And then I ask what he wants to say to me, and I listen for that still, small voice. Sometimes it's just me, but sometimes it's a reminder of something that's happened that week or something I need to pray for. I pray for each of you, 
Any of you that are in my life, your name is in my journal somewhere. I pray for the people of Hill City. Um, I take that very seriously. Anyone at Hill City would love to talk to you about how we walk this out in our own life. Grab someone that has a name tag on, grab me, ask the person that invited you here today. We'll buy you a cup of coffee and we'll talk about it. If you don't know Jesus is your friend and personal savior, I'd be happy to introduce you to him today. Romans 10.9 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Each of us has a next step. The next step may be recognizing that we're sinners. We have a past. We each have a unique story. And then we just need to recognize that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, handled it all. And we need to accept that. Repent is just a fancy word for turn around and go the other way. That's it. It's a vulnerable step. I get it. Um, but once it's done, you don't have to be ashamed of your story. It's handled. Too many people stop right there. And then they move on to the fixing stage. That's what I did. And they keep on trying to fix. But we at Hill City, we want to show you how to foster relationship with Jesus and with the community around you so that you can experience the living water that I was talking about. John 6:35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I want to pray for each of you today. But more than that, if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer. And you're welcome to say the words after me in your head. If you already know Jesus, pray for those around you or those in your life that don't know him. So if I could have everyone just close your eyes and keep your eyes closed for a bit. Heavenly Father, Abba, thank you. Thank you for the work on the cross. Thank you that I don't have to do the heavy lifting anymore. I confess that you are Lord. I ask for forgiveness of my sins, and I thank you that it's done. I thank you for redeeming me, and I pray that you would be in charge of my life. I thank you for the people here of Hill City. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't open your eyes yet. If you prayed this prayer today, just make eye contact with me. I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to encourage you this week. Thank you for being here. I want to tell you, you can open your eyes now. In conclusion here, Jesus traveled a route that very few traveled to find one unlikely woman with a checkered past. He wanted to give her the gift of hope, and he told her something that no one outside of his close circle knew, that he, Jesus, is the Messiah that they'd all been waiting for. Jesus knew that this dear sweet daughter would not be able to contain her excitement and she would go tell others and she did. Jesus stayed in Samaria for five or six more days talking to the people and many people came to know him as a result of her. The seemingly small act on a hill in Samaria ultimately changed the world and began the process of Jesus restoring us to himself. So in just a couple minutes, our prayer team is going to be at the back of the room. We're going to stand up and sing a song after communion here. If you have a need or if there's something that we could be praying about for you, we'll have four or five people in the back. Grab one of them and just let them pray over you while we're singing that last song. And if you do know Jesus, sorry, I lost my notes. <laughs> if you do know Jesus, we're going to come to the table. 
We're going to have communion passed around. They're going to start passing it around right now. Hang on to it. We're going to take communion together. Um, and communion is a reminder um, to each of us of what Jesus did on the cross. So just spend some time in prayer as we hand out these elements, and we'll, I'll lead you in communion here in just a second. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You may be asking yourself, what's next? Today, after our service, we're going to be hosting We Are Hill City course. We would love to feed you, tell you more about what we're all about, this Jesus life and how we walk it out together. Please stay, join us. You don't have to sign up. I want to close out with a blessing as you go into your week this week. Remember, our team will be available in the back during our final song. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.